you're you're the first i i don't think i've ever talked to somebody who's done reg right you're the first i i'd I'd actually never even heard of it to be honest with you so that shows how out of the loop i am no that's not that can't yeah i'm I'm not joking right now man i'm not joking is is the only cycling media you consume just your own youtube channel like is that (laughs) dude i and mine What up, party people? Quick intro today because I don't have my mic in front of me and I know how much y'all hate poor audio quality. I want to give a shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. We're talking about how we can put all those funds to good use to help amplify the show. Right now, we've just been letting the account build up so we have something to work with, but really soon, we're going to start using those funds. So we do appreciate every single dollar you throw our way. This week, we're talking about Ragbri, Leadville, too much talk about tires, and a whole bunch of random banter. If you have any questions or feedback for the show, hit us up on Instagram or drop us at podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in supporting the show, head over to our Patreon page. And if you want a sick Bonk Bros dad hat, hit up the link in the show notes or find our basic merch store on the webs. All right, let's get this party started. Yeah, so so the reason reason I can't text you right now is because it's my phone is like literally frozen. It won't do anything. But what I was going to say was the burner phones that Keegan and Rusty had that they were just like, whatever, we don't care about this phone. It's a piece of crap. I don't want to lose my nice phone. Yeah, those phones are like the next generation of my phone. Like I have the I have the crappier version of the burner phone that they have. <laughs> what 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 phone do you have? The iPhone eight. Man, dude, they're up to like is the iPhone twenty seven. I know. Is that a flip phone? So <laughs> it might as well be. <laughs> it's it's still got the home button, and what that's the part think, that uh, I think is going to be hardest for me to like move away from. What do you think Keegan and Rusty use those phones for when they're not racing Unbound? I don't know, probably sourcing their EPO. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> um, no, I mean... Yeah. They're, no, they're definitely dealing with, a, dealing with a different budget than most of us, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a feeling those those burner phones just go in like the, the you know drawer and they're not i mean stand. it's probably not a, if you if you can afford it it's probably not a bad idea to have a a cycling a phone that you take while you're riding and a phone that you just use every day because you know i mean you could crash and crack the crack the screen or something i did one time i i did crash and my phone was in my back pocket and the phone like literally folded in half it like bent <laughs> yeah an iphone yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty gnarly. No, I've I've cracked I've cracked iPhone screens when I after uh, crashing my bike before. Yeah, I mean I, I like the iPhone eight is literally from seven years ago, but it's like still mm-hmm. kicking, you know. So I'm just not I'm not gonna like just, just don't get a new just phone don't up- just update the software or whatever. If you do one I of those updates, it's I'm like just- <laughs> it's at the point where it doesn't update anymore. Oh, okay. Well, you know how like Apple will have this thing where. It, you you update it and all of a sudden the phone doesn't work. Yeah, that's why it's not like that's why I couldn't text Drew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Drew's here now. Yeah, I've been contemplating downgrading because I want a I want a mini and to get the, I have the thirteen and to get the thirteen mini would be like like what it how much I'm paying right now. So I'm thinking about like getting the twelve mini, which would be like no, going. Dude. Would be I'll going, just trade you. My, that would be I, like the going iPhone backwards. eight is the mini. It's the same size as the mini. Trade I'm you. I'm so ticked they didn't do a fourteen mini. 
Or Tyler, what, that, Tyler, what were you just drinking? Was that cough syrup? <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm on that codeine. Uh, <laughs> no, it's kom- kombucha. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Doctor Health yeah. Aid, dude. Just, I saw it from I saw it from the I saw it from the back. I was like, just sipping on some scissor over there. It's the only way I can get through this is by sipping on cough <laughs> the whole time. Got that purple drink? <laughs> what does that? Is that not what that looks like? <laughs> Does look like? Isn't it called Doctor? Yo, Tyler Aid or some Doctor Kombucha Aid? I don't know what this one is. This is uh, Health Aid Kombucha. Okay, so. yeah. Yeah, same thing. So, yeah, it's supposed to look like that. <laughs> Bro, your mic not show up? It said three days. Yeah, dude, and you shipped it, like, yesterday. <laughs> oh. That's one day. So, Dang. It'll, it'll probably be weekend. here on Monday. Yeah, it'll probably yeah, be here on you Monday. Guys, you guys called me out on the last podcast, so I felt like I had to, had to kick it in <laughs> a year. Listen? I always listen. Come on. <laughs> well, we had make, to sure you guys, make sure you guys don't say anything somebody. stupid. Of, some, make sure you guys don't say anything stupid about me when I'm not here. <laughs> Well, that's, which that's usually all we do. do. <laughs> that's you all guys we do. do talk about me on like every episode. You do. <laughs> yeah, so now it's good that you're here so we can say it's your face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's up, Trudy, man? How's your, how's your Trudy, wrist doing? Are you, you able think, to ride now? He rode across Iowa last week. Rode across Iowa. I've got 13 hours in the last three days. That's good. Wow. Man, put in the volume. Plan in and do like a six ride, six hour ride tomorrow, hmm. dude. I got I signed up for this BWR Utah race and it's in three weeks and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I signed up and now I'm freaking out. Yo, Man, I, you should I like s- have a coach that helps keep you think keep things in perspective like that. You know, if I do what, you should have a coach that like helps keep things like that in perspective of like you know, so you don't have to cram train or anything like that. I'm not cram training. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> No, I've been riding for like uh, like over two weeks now. So I've been building. Wow, two weeks and already up to thirteen hours and three days. Well, Solid. I was running like three or four times a week before that. Okay. Yeah, you do and do a lot like of that running. Little trainer rides. Hmm. Yeah. All right. It was uh, how was Ragbri? Oh, it was rad. You guys have no idea what it's about. That's what. Yeah, I was gonna say that because you guys. What you, something you guys butchered something about it last week when you were describing it, and I, I was like, "That's not." I was at all talking about it how it's a ride where you um, ride and then eat and then ride and then eat and then and then ride and then eat. And did I correct in that? Yeah, that is basically for taking out the eating part. Just ride. yeah, no, that's <laughs> it's all that's basically is. what it is. Like you can stop and get watermelon and and pork chops and. Like whatever you want. A lot of times there's free food somewhere, like a farm will just have a free free food. Um, and then you roll into town and there's like, <laughs> it's like the absolute worst food for riding. It's like they have a grilled cheese station, a pork chop <laughs> station, a pizza, a pizza station, a Philly cheesesteak. And I'm like, none of this sounds good, like at all. And they had a, pe- they had a, I'm not even kidding. They had a peanut butter and jelly station and i paid money for them to make me a pb and j wait which so is this like, an aid station or is this like after the ride it's a it's an entire town it's the midway town every day there's like every 10 miles or so we roll through a little town in iowa like fairdale kentucky like just some little town population 500 
and 15,000 riders just take over this little town all day. Uh, so you roll in and then, but at the halfway point is like the big one where all the food stations are and stuff for people to stop Mm. and eat lunch if they want to, like halfway through, there's usually like live music. It's like so busy that you have to get off and walk through most of the time because there's so many people Like you can't Mm. just keep rolling through. You've got to get off. And even if you don't want to stop, you have to like walk through. Usually you fill up your bottles and stuff anyways, and then you keep going. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, you stop for like, do they have, do they have any, I mean, there's. Do they have any like neutral uh, aid with like gels and stuff, or is it only pork chops and grilled cheese and PB and J? <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's like you're. I mean, usually you can find free stuff. Like people are giving out free food and stuff. Uh, otherwise, everything's like super overpriced. It's like there's free stuff, and then there's super overpriced stuff, and then you can get like they've got water. Um, like the local uh, fire departments hook up their fire hydrants to these like funny. They just like, like everyone is like a homemade sprinkler system for us to fill up our bottles. So it's like usually their fire hydrants are connected with hoses into a big PVC pipe and the PVC pipe just has holes drilled into it. And there's literally just water squirting out of like 20 or 30 holes and you go up and fill your bottle. Wow. Well, at least, I mean, at least they can give you water. It would be slightly funnier if the only thing that they had for you at an aid station was pork chops. <laughs> yeah, I could I could probably like, almost guarantee that there were people who who probably consumed more beer than they did water throughout the week of the ride. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like absolutely. Um so, so yeah, you need, so, so so you need a ride you, across you any of the days? Iowa. Say yeah, is what? it a ra- is it a race or like what what's the deal? It's just you stop and eat? No, like uh it's kind of like oh, that's what you guys got wrong. You guys were like Oh, yeah, it's like the thing to just, like, I think Adam said it. You were like, oh, yeah, you just chill, and you leave at, like, noon, and that's when you're doing Ragbray, right? You're on the right track. That is the Ragbray style of, like, we're going to mellow this thing out. Slower is better. We're stopping at every stop. We're drinking the beer, eating the food. That's the right way to do Ragbray. If you just, like, blaze through it, that's the wrong way to do it. But most of the people are out of the town, like, crack of dawn, like, Hmm. We would leave at like 9 a.m. and we were like the last ones. Like everybody <laughs> nine, leaves at like 5 9 a.m. is a.m. not the crack of dawn, bro. <laughs> yeah, I know, but everybody else is leaving at like 5 a.m., which is the crack of dawn. Okay. Because I think okay. if you rent if you rent a tent at the finish at each day's finishing town, there's like hundreds of tents pre-set up. Somebody's job or multiple people's jobs is to go and set up these tents each night. And you mm-hmm. pay a fee, and your tent is already set up, and you just have to show up and get in your tent. But you have to be out of the tent by, like, a certain time in the morning so they can get to the next town and all that stuff. And so, like, we would roll into town, and, like, there's tents everywhere. But when we would wake up, it's, like, desert. Like, there's nothing left because everybody's already got up and left. And so some people are leaving at, like, 5 or 6 in the morning and not showing up to the finished town. Like, I'm sure on the long days when it's, like, 80, 90 miles, I bet they're not getting there to, like dusk like eight or nine p.m so they they're literally out there all day riding across iowa and somehow they still managed to gain weight (laughs) (laughs) um since my buddy lives in iowa they have like his parents have been doing ragbrat for like 20 plus years so they have all these contacts like in every city across the state and so they usually do a pretty good job at like finding a place to stay 
Um, so the two nights that we did three days and two nights. And so the two nights we were there, we stayed, uh, in people's houses on air mattresses. It's usually like somebody who's like, Oh yeah, you can have our basement. And we just kind of take over their basement for a night. Hmm. Wait, so you didn't even ride across (laughs) Iowa. (laughs) I rode from, I rode from Des Moines to Davenport, which is halfway. I don't know where, CJ had to work. where either of those two cities are, but I, the, the, what I'm getting out of this is that you did not ride east across coast. Iowa. <laughs> halfway, halfway across Iowa. Dude, I live in Dylan's the boondock. Dylan's like, it's outside of Brevard. Is it in Westville? I don't know where anything is. Yeah, you guys need to, like, you guys need to come just to experience, like, the total opposite style of bike riding that we always see. It's really, I'm not even kidding. It's really, really Dude, refreshing. just wait till you become a gravel pro. <laughs> no, that's still, like, yeah, that's still ultra, like, competitive. And this is, like, I'm telling you, like, total opposite it's real refreshing you go there you're like you're just relaxed riding your bike i mean i didn't eat junk food or drink beer the whole time i can you can go and still eat your normal food (laughs) uh drew that sounds like a good time for when i'm like 50 years old and fat and not trying to be fast anymore but i can't i honestly cannot see myself having a good time there I'm sure I, I can see other like people a, having a good time there. I can't personally see myself having a good time at Ragbri. Yeah, but it's about like who you go with. So we went and it was like a, a group of all of our college friends from when we graduated together. There was five of mm-hmm. us. We all graduated the same year. And this is like our reunion of like, we're going to get back together and hang out. And the first time we did it in 2018, we had like 10 or 10 or 12 of us all do it. But because of COVID, there's less and less people that do it now. But mm-hmm. oh, so you've done it before. I did it in 2018. I did the you full did the thing. thing? Wow. Yeah. So I'm experienced. <laughs> That's why you need to only show it for half this time. <laughs> no, it would be real fun if like if we got a group like if if the four of us went or something or all of the It's also it's went, also at that if you are if you are a bike racer and you don't have a broken wrist, it is also at the worst possible time of the year. <laughs> like okay, middle of july not no because there's a bunch of races in there's a bunch of races in the summer you know there's, yeah in the summer there's there's a, there's i'm not races in the fall i'm not <laughs> yeah. just talking about i'm not just talking about leadville i'm just talking you know there uh there's just there's just a lot of things to do in in midsummer if you're a yeah, bike you, racer you could probably find like a bike race on the way there and then i bet bike race at the end i bet you add up how many starters of every single race across the country in the month of July, and there's still going to be more people that do rag. I don't, I don't doubt that, man. I'm so not, I'm telling you, I know, I'm but not. your argument, your argument falls flat because you're like, oh, there's a lot of races. Well, to a lot of no, people, no, rag bra, no, rag bra is more important than. I know Dylan's trying racing. to say he doesn't want to miss any precious races yeah, that are going yeah. on at the same time. I also don't want to miss any. That's what I would say. I, too. I also don't want to like ride my bike at five miles per hour for 10 hours a day and somehow gain 10 pounds after a Dude, week of I riding did, i didn't gain weight i'm pretty sure I, i'm pretty sure i lost weight and we didn't ride like we're all we were all former we were all we're all cyclists still it's all people mm-hmm. who were on the cycling team at marion who still ride so like we were we were rolling at like 20 miles per hour every day i'm sure they have an iceberg lettuce stand for you Dylan. it'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> you can just get your pork chop sandwich minus the, the pork road. chop. 
It's something that you guys should. I would. I. I would recommend doing. Anybody like I said, you talk to who's done it will say it's a fun time. I'll like do. I said, yeah. To me, yeah. Yeah. Just when I'm 50 yeah. years old go, and I weigh 40 pounds get, more than I do now. Hey, that's all right. Go get 18th in the lifetime series standings. You know, 30th right. overall, but 17th out of the lifetime participants at Leadville. <laughs> I, that's totally. Yeah. Go do that. Mm-hmm. I, if I if I got a a hundredth at Leadville, I think that would be still a thousand times cooler than doing Ragbri. <laughs> Spoken from a true unragbriar, <laughs> uninitiated. You're you're the first. I I don't think I've ever talked to somebody who's done Ragbri. You're the first. I I'd, I'd actually never even heard of it to be honest with you. So that shows how what? out of the loop I no, am. No, that's not that can't. Yeah, be I'm I'm not joking right crazy. now, man. I'm not joking. Is is the only cycling media you consume just your own YouTube channel? Like, is that <laughs> dude? And, I and mine. Everyone's I mean, on my website is no one. No one on my house. like. I so no one on my Instagram feed, nobody on my YouTube feed, no one on Velo News, no one on Pink Bike has ever talked about Ragbri one time, except not for true. Drew. <laughs> not, oh, I was about to say. I, mean, I was about to say not true because I talk about it. I'm gonna go see if you're yeah. doing a, pulling a Robert and only following yourself. Real quick, <laughs> I did. I did pull a Robert on Strava. I was following. I was following like 18 people on Strava, and they were random people that I don't like. I didn't necessarily care about, and I was like, I need to make this zero. So I unfollowed all of them. I'm down to zero followers or people that I'm following on Strava. Why do you I even had, have it? Why do I have Strava? It's yeah. the same. It's the same reason Robert has Instagram. Yeah, but it takes people how fast you are. Takes- yeah, he takes pride in the virtual thumbs up everybody gives him. <laughs> Still has email notifications on. I would I would actually like to turn that off. Just imagine how many kudos you could get if you did Ragbri. You would get so oh, many man. more followers on Strava. Probably, probably. Are there Strava segments? Even ride that. <laughs> Are there Strava segments on the Ragbri route, or is that like against the spirit of Ragbri? I don't know. What do you mean well, you don't know? To get you just did it. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I just recently got back into Strava, and I don't even look at it. It just auto like uploads. I'd like change the title of my rides, and then that's it. Hmm. Is there more to do on Strava except for that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I don't even know why. I think the main reason I do Strava is is because my, next to my name says Ignition Coach Co. And a part of me thinks that, like, I don't know, maybe if somebody sees that I ride 100 miles, they'll sign up for coaching. <laughs> That's literally, like, the only nice. reason I'm doing it. I, so I will say that there, mar- there, are actually, there are actually instances where I think some of the data that you can hit, get for, from Strava helps you with racing. Um, for example, like, looking at certain segments in a race – and having an idea of how long certain segments are going to take or what the power required for those segments is at a certain at a certain level. Um, I mean, just as an example, like I was testing, yeah. uh, I was testing my drop bar hardtail out on the Leadville course. And instead of having to, you know, ride that bike and then ride my normal hardtail back to back on the same descent, I can just look at my times from last year's descents. And Strava has all of that. And it actually made it super easy to compare those two bikes on a descent. And of course, it's not perfect because not every variable is accounted for. But I just wanted to know whether I was in the same ballpark 
on that bike on the descents, which I was easily able to do mm. with Strava. So I went to your Strava because I was I, I wanted to double Same. confirm that that, <laughs> I'm on the page that, right you, now. that you unfollowed everyone, and and it is true you have you follow zero people, but then <laughs> you did a workout. <laughs> You did a workout that was threshold three or five by ten at three fifty five, and someone commented, "Dizzle's workout today five by no. ten three fifty six. Somebody commented that. I swear it wasn't me. <laughs> well, we could see who commented that is the it. Best. It was Wayne. Oh, Wayne. Wayne. Wayne's the Wayne, man. Wayne, you're my new favorite Strava, <laughs> uh, Strava-er. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's amazing. I love that, like, the Dizzle Dylan beef is becoming, like, a real thing. Yeah, you know, you still got to break that 402, man. I still, I still have that well, I'm about right to, now. I'm going to wipe you up at Big <laughs> Like, it's not even, like... Oh, yeah, I was going to ask your advice, though. What time is PWR Utah? For PWR Utah? Should oh, I, have, dude, I have the Strata. These are my three options. Strata Bianchi's 40s, 36s, and then the getaways with extra protection. That is such an obvious decision. I can't even believe you just asked me that. The extra protection? Strata Bianchi, the, 28s. Yeah, the if you Super honestly, sweet. if you have the Strata Bianchis in 28s, that's probably what you should go for, for sure. Come you want to hear? You want to hear, you wanna hear what I've I? Never d- you you you've done. How about this? I don't want your I don't want your opinion on what tire I should use. Just describe the the terrain. Hold on, for me. I, I, I'm going to give you Belgian waffle rides opinion. Are you ready for this? <laughs> All right. I, so this is what BWR thinks you should run at BWR Utah. So this might be helpful for you, Drew. The fastest riders overwhelmingly choose the 42, but. The 38 is a gr- <laughs> but the 38 is a great choice for riders who want to save a little weight and roll a little faster. Beer emoji. So I mean, it's settled, man. <laughs> you need to go with a 38 IRC for sure. No, no, no challenge. <laughs> I said I. I don't think you were on that chat. I sent that to uh, I sent that to Adam and Tyler, and I was like, you know. I mean, it makes sense that IRC thinks this, you know, given IRC's reputation for speed. But like, I I can't believe that they are making that recommendation that that thirty eights roll faster at BWR Utah. It blows my mind, actually. What's the terrain look like? All right, it's pretty. So apparently, they've changed the entire course. But the old course, uh, it was pretty sandy. Uh, and bumpy, to be honest with you, for most of the gravel segments. But there's a decent amount of road. Um, there's a really sandy, loose climb with a really sandy, loose descent. And then there's four miles of pretty rough single track. Uh, I mean, the single track is so rough that, honestly, <laughs> the best bike for just that single track section would probably be a full suspension mountain bike. But, of course, you're not going to do that because that's only... Don't t- <laughs> Four miles of Don't the race. Don't tell me that. I'm like freaking out that my wrist is just gonna like get destroyed at this race. I was hoping that it was all Thanks. gonna be paved and dirt. I'm actually looking at the BWR Utah course right now. So there's only four. So it's a, there's only four miles of four miles of single track or rough single track. So I'm definitely gonna no, lose dude, time there. Th- Dylan did it like six Thanks. years ago though. It's, oh, it's, so it's different. They it's have. Really different. They have. Yeah, they have switched it up. Um, 
I mean, it's, yeah, it's a rough race. I mean, for the sake of your wrist, uh, yeah. I would probably go with the slower option and go with the wider tires for sure. It's unfortunate. You're going to be losing time, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> uh, do I need like extra protection or the Strata Bianchi's okay? Dude, the Strata, I'm going to, so no joking right now. The Strata Bianchi's <laughs> are not okay for any gravel race except for like, uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, what's that one Steamboat? in Michigan? Yeah, maybe Steamboat. Yeah. Maybe What's the Barrier one in Michigan? Bay. Barrier, Barrier Bay. Bay. I would say like Barrier yeah. Bay and Steamboat are the only two gravel races where those tires are remotely okay. Otherwise, you risk flatting? Yeah, they're a super fast tire, but you're not going to keep air in them. We'll see about that. Okay. <laughs> no, they're, they're actually, actually, Drew, I, I take that back. They're the perfect tire for Big Sugar. I already know the answer to that. <laughs> So what, t- what tires I'm running for that race? Which ones? The getaways with the extra protection challenge, dude. What, I know because I know that that race. Tires all the time. I know that that race is known for its flats, and yeah, I think I'm just going to set my tires up that way and leave them that way until Big Sugar. What yeah. size are those? The getaways with the protection? Forties. It's not UCI Slight, legal, bro. Slightly bigger than I prefer, but <laughs> wait, you said forties? Yeah. Mm, yeah, no, that definitely sounds like the right width for Big Sugar. You're 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 on the right track there, Drew. <laughs> Dylan, I do not care what you're gonna say to me. I'm gonna wipe you up at Big Sugar. <laughs> All, right. All right, well, and I'm gonna do it on a narrower tire than you. Okay. All right. If and you want to give yourself this podcast, if you want to give yourself we, disadvantages, this that's fine. In three and in, in three months from now, oh, dude, you're gonna be eating some crow's foot. Man, as a member of the team, as it does say, yeah, that's the saying. Eating crow's foot, eating eating crow is the saying. Eating crow and your foot, feet, eating your foot and crow. That crow foot's gonna be in your mouth. As a as a fellow member of team team skinny tire, uh, I can say that forties are just fine. So I'm gonna. Hey, and good. to your point, to your good. point about tires rolling faster, if you go to your Tuesday night world's ride on 40s or on 28s, it's going to be way easier on 28s than 40s, I know from experience. Well, it depends on what <laughs> 28s and what 40s you're talking about. If you're talking about the refuse 28 versus like the Strata Bianchi 40, it's not even a you're going to go so much faster on the Strata Bianchi 40. Don't give me that look. If you if you are confused by what I just said, Drew, then I can't talk to you. <laughs> hey, Drew just, get dude, just talking, dude. I just said the I'm just most. I'm talking about slicks. For, Everybody's for, on slicks. Yeah, no. Strata Bianchi's are slick, and refuses are slick. They're both slick. So I'm not talking about tread right now. And I just said the most obvious thing that any tire nerd could possibly think of. And you just gave me a look like I'm crazy. Because I'm not a tire nerd. <laughs> I'm a Watts nerd. Okay. All I care about are Watts, baby. Watts. All right. <coughs> cool. Let's move on. Let's, let's forget hey, I asked. You're the one who brought up tires, man. We were, we were actually trying to have a no tire talk episode for once. In Bonk Bros history, but you, you're the one who brought it up. I just got all these new tires. I need to try them out. That's what I should do. I should just try them all out. I, I will say you asked for way too many Strata Bianchis. That's way more Strata Bianchis than there even are races where that's a good tire to use. Well, if you said no, they not flat if you as use much like as you three of them in one in one race, yeah, exactly. You guys are killing me. You guys, I'm going to lose my sponsorship <laughs> if you guys keep saying all this. Crap. <laughs> 
cut it out. It's not our sponsorship. You're not saying anything. Okay, in, in, in Challenge's defense, the Strata Bianchi is like the fastest gravel tire you can possibly buy, but it, there's compromises, right? You, you compromise flat protection when you have a tire that's that fast, you know? I think they're working on it. I've already, I gave them that feedback on their cross tires last year. Cool. And you're still sponsored, huh? Yep. Hmm. Suspect. What are you going to do on the mountain bike, you know, when you have to do the Grand Prix next year? What do you mean? What am I going to do? You know that the Grand Prix has mountain bike races. It's going to run like (laughs) 1.9s. Yeah. I honestly, like, I can't even tell you, like, I couldn't tell you anything about my bike. I don't know anything about the travel or the tires. All I know is that my bike has a purple lightning bolt painted on it, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, and you do know that Challenge doesn't make mountain bike tires, so you're gonna have to go into your wallet. Oh, that's what you meant. Pull out a fat <clears throat> hundo at the bike shop and buy your own mountain bike tires. <laughs> a hundo, dude, you're gonna need like two hundos. Yeah, yeah. mountain bike tires are expensive. <laughs> this man yeah. hasn't bought tires recently. Clearly, <laughs> dude, I buy tires. I buy like five pairs of tires a month. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't thought that far ahead. i got to get into the series first. Fair enough. You can buy one of my factors when you get in. (laughs) Do we have any listener questions? Or Adam, what are you looking at over there? (laughs) Uh, Didn't you say you listened to the show last week? Yeah. (laughs) And didn't, didn't you say that it was better? Like the audio was better? Yeah. I don't know. Someone emailed in and said that and asked if Dylan was ripping lines off his microphone the whole show. Was I sniffing a lot? I mean, I am recording at high altitude, and it's quite hard to breathe. So, yeah, let's give Dylan a break. He's trying to acclimate right now. <laughs> uh, Drew, what do you think? Yeah, Did I sound like questions. I was breathing heavy last week? Not noticeably. No, mm-hmm. like I didn't. Uh, I listened to it when I ride, though, too. So Drew, what did you think of what did you think of the episode where Nina was talking in the background for like half the time? That was terrible. I was <laughs> on that episode, and while we were recording, I was being I was getting annoyed. Okay, yeah. And then, I, no offense, Adam, but I think you I think you edited it and made it worse. It might have been like worse, I think yeah. she was louder in the recording than she, like in the actual podcast than she was when we recorded it. Mm-hmm. It was really yeah. it was like it was like as if she was a member of the podcast and she was just talking and laughing the whole time and it was like That's actually that actually may be what happened cuz like when I when I use the function to to eliminate background noise it tries to pull the voices yeah. So her conversation might have been so loud that it actually tried to amplify her voice to make yeah. it part of the re- the audio. That's what happened for sure. Yeah. And it was like yeah, it was an that was probably our worst one. That was so annoying. <laughs> it was like you five gotta, minutes. It's fine. You gotta, you gotta do something about her. <laughs> there were, I, I got people. I got people who. I got people who really liked that episode, but they they weren't happy with the background noise. Yeah. yeah. And all yeah. I gotta say is this: it's gonna be a long drive for you back to North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Nina. Uh, Nina does not listen to this podcast unless she's listening to me do the podcast live. But she's not even here right now. So, oh, good. <laughs> so let's keep going. <laughs> okay. Do we do we have anything else, or should we move into questions? Uh, now nah, we're like thirty minutes in. I think we can start answering questions. Okay. Well, so this one's kind of on a similar note to where we're leaving off, but. 
This one's from Will. He says, hey, I was wondering how often you change tires for the conditions on your gravel bike. I know you will always for upcoming races, but what about during training? Do you try to find the ideal tires for training rides or just use what you have on there from the last race? Are you privileged enough to have many wheel sets and just swap out the wheels? I personally just bought a good all-around gravel tire and never change it until it wears out, but I'm not a pro, William. Hmm. Um, I run the same tire for training all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprisingly lazy about my equipment choice when I'm training. It's a lot of times, you know, whatever conditions I'm training in, my bike is not optimal for, but it is what it is. Yeah. Like I I do try to have like a fresh, fresh ish tread for racing just because you're like pushing your bike's limits a lot more. So you kind of want to make sure you have good like cornering knobs and traction and everything. But for training, I don't really care. Honestly, I run the same tires most of the time. I mean, honestly, like for training, I can't imagine a gravel condition where the pat the specialized pathfinder in the forty seven is not going to be the perfect tire. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, what conditions are you riding yeah. in where a specialized pathfinder forty seven is not perfect? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I. I just recently started using the 47s for training because I got a bigger fork on my bike so I could fit the 47s. And yeah, I agree. Like even on road, like it's, they're fine. You you know, I will say that if you do want to work on your flat fixing ability, you could run the challenge Strada Bianchi's and that would, that would probably be a good option too. Because you know, part of gravel racing is is being able to fix a flat. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, this one's from Brian. He says, Hey, Bonk Bros. I have a question f- mostly for Dylan. If 29ers and 700C wheels roll faster than 26-inch or 650B wheels, when are you going to have Factor build you a bike with 750 or 800C custom wheels and tires? Mm. Is this the next marginal gain and a reason to sell everyone on the new Gotta Have It bike? Brian Z. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, you know what would be interesting to see is if there is actually a point of diminishing return with wheel size. Um, I, I think we talked about this on here, but Renee Hurst actually did a test between 650B gravel tires and wheels and 700C gravel tires and wheels. And they did this test and their claim was, oh, look, there's no difference between 700C and 650B. And that's not what I got out of their test what I got out of their test is there is a difference between 700 C and 650 B. Now what they, they didn't do that many runs. So their claim was, Oh, it's not statistically significant. And I was like, okay, I get that, but you barely did any runs. Like if you were to repeat this over and over and over again, I can easily see this getting to the point where it's statistically significant. Um, so I don't know at what point, at what point is there, you know, diminishing returns where the like weight of the wheel is so high and the, and the, the wheel is so large that the handling of the bike is so bad and the arrow penalty of the wheel being so large, all of this, you know, I don't know, maybe we're all on the wrong wheel size. Maybe it should, maybe it should all be bigger. Maybe it should all be on like 32s or something. There was, there was a company that I think was trying to make like a 36 inch mountain bikes. Yeah. Which is a big jump from 29. Like why, why don't yeah, they go like, the next step like up? Twenty six to twenty nine feels like a huge jump. Yeah. So then, like, why would you think that you should like like double that jump? I think the next logical step would be what, like a thirty two, you know, or thirty one and a half. 
or thir- yeah. 30 and a half. Well, that's, that's pretty small, but yeah. Well, that's the same going from 650B to 700. No, nah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I was thinking about the jump from 26 to 29. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are, you know, you ever see a, uh, like a dude who's six foot five riding a 29er and it looks like he's riding on a 26 inch wheeled bike because the bike looks so disproportionate. I could, I could see yeah. a rider like that actually really enjoying like 31 or 32 inch wheels. If that was an option. All right. Next one. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm trying to read this one. It's like the, it's like it came through in like a really weird syntax. It's like, it's like all jumbled up. What? Uh, okay. This one. All right. I'm going to try to read it. Cause it's like, it's like some of the, some of the like sentences are vertical. Some of them are horizontal. What? It's kind of weird. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Okay, this one's from Logan. He says, hey, guys, I originally sent these back in January, and then I realized that Scott manages the Patreon, so I figured I would resend it to you. It's your podcast, wait, so feel free to answer or not. Wait, Just Scott manages sure our Patreon? Got through. <laughs> yeah. What? Who put him in charge of that? Scott? I don't know. He, he set it up initially. Okay. Uh, I mean, so- I the only thing that I do with it is I upload our shows a day early to patreon oh, okay okay cool cool so i do that I, part i was gonna be like i was gonna i was gonna say i was like man those patreon those poor patreon members are not getting anything for their subscription if Scott's yeah, i mean i don't know i mean that's what the people want though they mm-hmm. want scott they, that, they just didn't realize what they were signing up for when they wanted scott <laughs> okay so he says my first question is about coaching how successful as a cyclist should someone be before they uh, reach out for coaching? I've heard Drew go on about rally cars on the Matchbox podcast enough to know that ignition thing is successful racers making successful coaches. I've done decently yeah, we well. To, we need to get a new commercial. Dude, Drew, Drew was just staring at his phone for that entire wheel size question, and then he heard coaching and ignition, and he's just like, put the phone down. <laughs> this is relevant. I don't know anything about mountain bikes, whatever you guys were talking about. Yeah, so, okay, it says, I've done decently well in some local races, but I'll never be elite, and I'm okay with that. For some context, I live in a town with a well-known amateur race team that pays a coach for year-round coaching for them. But a lot of the coaches are old-school former racers who don't necessarily use science-backed training methods. I think I have something to bring with my knowledge of training science, and I've enjoyed other coaching in other sports, but is my lack of race achievement. Okay, I can't tell if they're wondering if they can... If Oh, he wants to be a coach. They want to be a coach. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I think, I think that's what Logan's asking. We used to have an application on the Ignition Coach Co. website for people to apply to be coaches, but uh, we just haven't needed more coaches for a while, so we took it down. Now the first question is, you have a choice between these tire sizes, which are you choosing on race day, and (laughs) one gets you through to the next stage, the other are automatic disqualifiers. (laughs) Um, All right, so he's asking, I mean, he's basically asking, like, you know, do you need to have extensive race background to coach people to prepare for racing? I mean, you know, to be a second coach and train Here's people? the example I, I always give. Uh, and you may or may not like it. I don't know. But if you're at a race 
and you're looking for a coach, you're at a bike race and you're a bike racer and you're walking around the venue and you're like, you know what? Like there's, there's tents set up for coaching companies and there's a guy over there standing there with a clipboard and he's asking you to sign up for his coaching. Would you sign up for him? Or then in the background, there's a guy winning a bike race and he wants to coach you as well. Who do you want? The guy with the clipboard or the cloud with the the guy with the trophy? Because Does the guy think, with the trophy also have a clipboard while he's racing? I, I think I'm going to go with the guy with the trophy and the clipboard versus the guy who's got just the clipboard and like and yeah. like does I don't know, but that's the analogy I always give. Um, I mean, I, that's our thing. Yeah, he's right that our coaches are racers, and we think that coaching and racing go hand in hand. Like, and what I mean when I say that is that. Because our coaches are racers, that makes them better coaches because they can obviously relate to athletes way more because they're going through the same exact process that they are. I mean, I think it, I think it helps like to, to be able to provide that expertise or experience, right, with your, with your athletes having raced before, especially doing a lot of the races that the athletes that we coach go to do, be that cross races or gravel or mountain bike like we have coaches that have experience racing all over the country um but i mean i think if you look at a high level like let's expand this out from just ignition to look at what like what inigo san milan i don't think that he was a professional bike racer but the and the you know his field of study is like i think he does like cancer research right but he's tade's coach and you know the dude understands when you listen to him talk about you know the training process and how all of the science behind it same with uh who's the texan norwegian guy that i'm forgetting right now steven seiler Seiler. steven seiler yeah yeah i mean he wasn't an elite athlete but he's a physiologist yeah i mean so i think like if you you know if the question is more of like hey do you think you have to be a racer no but at the same time like if you haven't raced your bike like, what are you bringing to the table as a coach? And that's got to be something that people want to hire you for. You have to have some expertise or reason why people want to come yeah. to you as a coach, whether that's winning a bike race or knowing your shit about physiology. Right. I mean, like, you you brought up two guys that are, like, world-renowned exercise physiologists or, you know, sports <laughs> scientists. Yeah, if you're so not like, on that level. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like, there's a big difference between not having race experience but having a, a extremely large brain you know, large knowledge base of like physiology and like exercise physiology specifically yeah. and just like not having bike racing experience or just like kind of knowing what you're you know like training principles from watching dylan's youtube sure. videos <laughs> yeah so yeah. i i think that sometimes um i i i can make i i think i can make arguments for it both ways i completely agree with drew that having a lot of what a coach does is uh, apply their race experience to, you know, your race situations. So if they have a lot of experience racing, particularly at a high level, uh, that's super valuable because, you know, um, just for example, Inigo San Milan might be an amazing coach, but can he tell you, you know, what to like, what position you need to be in going up the first climb at Leadville, for example, like he's never done Leadville. He doesn't know. (laughs) <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, so I, there's, so, there's something to be said for that. Um, that being said, I think that we, we need to acknowledge that, uh, your cycling ability has 
unfortunately, a large it, it it has a lot to do with your genetic potential. And so let's just like Drew, let's just imagine that there's a person who has an um, enormous passion for cycling training, but but just by happenstance, they also got dealt the worst genetic cards for cycling that you could possibly get, right? I feel so attacked right now. <laughs> so, I mean, I, like, I could see that person being a good coach, even though their race results would probably be terrible, you know? Yeah. Um, but, like, well, but, but at the same time, though, I mean, I, uh, you know, to play devil's advocate, like, how do they inform someone how they should navigate the front of the you know the peloton during a criterium if they've never been able to be in that position mm-hmm. like maybe maybe they study it enough they analyze they mm-hmm. go to enough races they watch it they watch videos and so on um you know but but there there is a certain aspect of experience that that comes with being in those positions that your athletes want to eventually be in and maybe yeah. you're coaching someone who who's never going to be in that position anyways so it's not going to be relevant Mm-hmm. But I guess yeah, another, I, I think there are certain ser- scenarios where we're having that ex- race experience does provide a huge benefit. I, I think the point that I was trying to make there is that uh, how fast you are on a bike does not necessarily correlate to how smart you are or necessarily correlate to, you know, Can confirm. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I know about that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the trickle down effects of like why we wanted to start, or at least I wanted to start ignition was, uh, to, Im- and this is going to sound bizarre when I say it, but w- is to improve us cycling, like racing. Uh, and you're probably wondering like how in the world would that happen? Uh, and, but as a lot of you all know, cyclists, unless you're like Keegan Swenson or whoever, like the top, top, you, you don't make a lot of money, if any at all. Uh, so a lot of people, and there's all these junior and U23 development teams and, and kudos for them for doing that. But as soon as you turn 23, it's like you're fed to the wolves and mm-hmm. you look at how many kids are on junior teams when they're 17 and how many of them quit the sport when they're 23. And it's like a huge amount. Yeah. And that's also the year when they're like forced to like they're graduating college or moving out. So they have to figure out where to live and all that. And it's like, do they get a job? Do they not get a job? All that. Um, so ignition kind of provides an opportunity for high level racers to make some money and keep racing their bike at that high level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sound maybe that sounds selfish to hear, but as a bike racer, I wouldn't be bike racing right now if it weren't for coaching. And so part of like starting ignition was okay if it, if coaching has been so good to me as an athlete and as a racer, I want that to be true for other coaches and racers as well. Like, I don't think Adam would be, would, would have raced as much this year if it weren't for coaching. You know what I mean? Uh, I think he, and for almost sure. all the coaches would, would probably say that. Like, yeah. Drew, did, on a related note, did you see, uh, Mount, at cross country mountain bike nationals this year? Um, the junior category, the junior category for the boys was so big that they actually had to have a qualifier event for the main event for the jersey. I know. And then every single yeah. every single year you go up, like you go up to U23, the field gets smaller. You go up to Elite, the field gets even smaller. Like the Elite field was was uh, uh, pathetically small. And the junior field was mm-hmm. so big that they needed a qualifier event, which kind of yeah, yeah, but, but, goes okay, to your but, point. But, 
But you also have to combine the elite field with the age group field because sure. not everyone from the juniors, even if they keep racing, is going to bump up to elites eventually. I, I'm just saying, I remember a time where at XE Mountain Bike Nationals, there were there were probably 100 dudes in the elite race. It was a big field. Yeah. And it, it, I don't know, for whatever reason, it is not like that anymore. I mean, 100 dudes doesn't even seem like that big of a field to me. Well, I mean, this year, what was it, 30? So, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, if it's... Oh, I don't know. If it was less than that, then... It, yeah, it was way less than that, man. So, it was way less than that. I think it was 30 or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was only, like, 50 or 60 at CrossNats last year. Not a lot. Yeah. But it, I, I'm just saying that because it kind of goes to your point. Like, there are... As you get older, there are less uh, there are less riders at a high level in the sport because either they've moved on to other things because they can't make money at it or or whatever other right. reason you know. Yeah, I, I was actually listening to the I think it was CX Harris podcast. I don't know when it was which episode it was from, but uh, Bill Shiken was talking about the kind of the the, the yeah. The model of pro cycling in the U.S. and how it's been for the last couple decades, probably, and how how like backwards it is that the the elites are still considered to be the customers and not the product at these races. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the elites are like paying their entry fee, they're paying to get there, they're like paying their mechanics to like do all you know like do their mechanic work. Um, like they have so much expenses, but like it, it's supposed to be this like showcase or this exposition for the crowds to like come out and watch and support the elites. But at the end of the day, like the elites are actually paying more to be there than the spectators. Now I get it. Like sports teams, you know, sure. Maybe the individual athletes aren't paying their way to be there. Like they're getting paid to be there, but the sports organization in general, like the team pays a lot of money for, you know, the coaching and the, you know, the trainers and staff mm-hmm. and everything like that. Uh, you know, so it's different. It's 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 a different sport than than a lot of other sports. But the way that he was presenting it was like, you know, the U.S. just hasn't figured out that the the elites are supposed to be the product. Like, if you do it right, you should be able to sell the product to the customers, which the customers can still be the amateur racers. Like, they can still come and race their bikes. But you got to figure out a way to like sell the product to the customers. And that's and and the reason we and because we don't do that is what you know you guys are talking about is like is why as soon as someone turns 19 or 20 24 and they graduate out of either juniors or u23 is like they just can't afford it anymore yeah i mean i was talking to a, a young cross racer who's i think he's still u23 and he was asking me like hey do you have any connections to people that have a team and like for cross specifically because his road program what didn't have any money to support him for a cross season and so he was like i mean i was just trying to run through my head and like was texting him like i mean honestly if you're not on one of these two programs like you're doing it on your own you'd be better off to just find your own support and try to figure it out you know and try to like and try to like give him some like hey if you're flying to races like pick two races that are back to back or something like that right to make it work but i mean to your point adam i think there's so many people that they they go to college i mean let's assume that they keep racing through college they graduate school and then you know they don't have that maybe they're not on the parents uh payroll anymore you know maybe they're they don't have any you know they got to pay student loans they got to get a job it is possible i think that is one thing that you know i tried to model in my racing time was like you can still work 
a job and be able to train and race at a high level. Now, granted, like you might not be winning if you're, if you don't have the time to train, but you can still be competitive. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, if that, that support isn't there for that age group between say like 23 and 28, you know, if you're not on a pro team, then you just fade out and maybe you pick it back up a little bit later maybe not maybe you just go on to do something else so yeah and most kids aren't you know come you know coming out of college they're not like they weren't spending their college years like trying to put together their their own program right Right. like it takes it it takes a couple of seasons to to put together that kind of support if you're lucky like and you might not have never even be able to so like if you're coming out of college like you said like you don't have a job yet you don't have any money in your bank account you're trying to figure out like where you're going to live and how to manage your expenses and you haven't already set up this this support team around you yeah, it's like how 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 do you expect someone to be able to do that? I mean, to get by for sure. Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, been... going all this goes back to like <laughs> Drew, like your ethos behind ignition was like, hey, here here's the avenue. Like, you know, you don't have to yeah. coach full time necessarily. Right. Like, you you can still go and get another job, but like your coaching can bring in enough income on the side that that can help offset your your bike racing expenses. And then yeah. maybe you do that for three, four, or five years. And eventually, like you build up enough support that maybe you drop down to part time with your full time job, or you know you leave that full time job because you've built up enough support with coaching and whatever right. else you have with your with your uh, race program. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, yeah. what do you guys think of uh, somebody in college who their goal is to be a professional bike racer? What do you think about them doing collegiate racing? Is that a complete waste of time, or should they do that? I feel like. I'll say this as probably the person that was came to collegiate or came to cycling pretty late. Like I was, I didn't start racing bikes until I was in grad school. So I was like 23. Oh, same. I never was a bike racer before, <laughs> before <laughs> then did other sports, but wasn't a bike racer. And like the, the college experience as a grad student going to bike races was fun for sure. Like I got to travel to a lot of places up and down the East coast. It was a good time. I could see that like the younger, I'll say like the undergrads on the team, um, you know, had a lot of fun, but I think the racing is not, I think you're, if you're doing both, if you're racing outside of collegiate racing, like you're going to get so much more experience. And the reason I say that is because you have teams, uh, like Marion or like Elise McRae that are in these conferences that are like where they just wax everybody. They're like they show up, it's just known that these teams are going to be at the front. And so it's like, well, you know, I don't know how competitive is it across the collegiate field when, you know, a third of the field has a hangover. The other third is like <laughs> still trying to like figure out if they even want to race bikes, like let alone how to ride in a Peloton. And then the other, the final third has been like racing since they were juniors and they're just like showing up and just, you know, putting everybody in the, in their rear view mirror. Um, hey, quick story. I was in a crit, a collegiate crit, and I, I went to Marion. So we were like, when we showed up with our bus, they would say, "Oh, the Death Star has arrived," and like that was our mo. And I was in a crit once, and we had like twelve dudes in this crit. There's probably forty dudes in the race, and we had like seven guys <laughs> up the road, <laughs> just Marion, like on a seven man breakaway, and I wasn't in it. But there was a Notre Dame kid that rode up next to the Peloton and started screaming, 
come on, everybody, we gotta work together to beat Marion. Like screaming at all the other teams because if they had any chance of beating us, they would have had to all collectively work together to beat us because exactly what he said, like. Marion had more riders and better riders than everybody else. And it was like, we weren't happy unless we got into a break. And it was like 95% Marion riders because we could. Yeah. And so to like, to your question, Dylan, of like this kid that's only doing collegiate racing, like, I mean, if he wants to make it as a pro bike racer, I would advise him to get in the van and travel to do bigger races to like, jump in local crits jump in big national level crits like you got to get that experience and i think it just comes with like developing Mm -hmm. the racing craft because he could train at home and be as strong as he wants but like if he doesn't know how to position himself in a bunch or if he you know gets in a breakaway he he or she or whoever they ends Mm -hmm. up in a in a breakaway like and they're just you know i don't know they don't know how to how to ride a break they don't know how to sprint whatever it is like that's not going to take them very far it's not just about being strongest it's also about like being a smart racer and and applying the craft yeah yeah i I was yeah i i don't think yeah like i think dylan like you were like you kind of posed it as like should they even bother with collegiate racing Mm -hmm. and i don't know i i you know it's kind of like you know saying like should should the pro racer even bother like going to their local race it's like why not i mean like you may maybe you wouldn't like skip out on going to I don't know, BWR to, you know, hit your, you know, collegiate race, you know, or, or whatever big race in, instead. Mm-hmm. But if you're not like, if it's that or training, like I, I think you're going to get way more out of, of doing any kind of race for the most part, unless, you know, unless it's not specific enough, but um, I don't see why you wouldn't, wouldn't still race collegiate. Uh, even if, you know, like Tyler said, though, like assuming that's not your only option. Yeah. My bad. If I yeah. misunderstood the question and no, 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 my no, soapbox. Was- <laughs> no, 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 I think it was it's good. good. I think I think what you said made sense. I so, so I, I bring it. I would say, <laughs> yeah, Drew, what's, what's up? Sorry. What <laughs> said? Screw Marion. No, no, let's yeah. hear the context first. Then, then we can. Then yeah, let's hear the context. For my two cents, my mom like half the reason I got into cycling was so that it would help me get a scholarship for college. Because there's like mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have gone to college if it weren't for cycling. So so being able to race and pay for school that way was obviously like a huge opportunity for me. How did your mom know that, that getting into bike racing could get you a collegiate scholarship? Like, I feel like that's like the last sport you would think of to get a, an athletic she, scholarship. She worked at a bike shop. Okay. Was like an account, she was like an accountant at a bike shop. And hmm. I guess I, w- I wasn't good at any other sports. So she's like, well, here's your last chance, kid. <laughs> nice. It's like, you're not getting any scholarships for nice. basketball or, or anything else. So, okay. I got you. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, if you can go get a college degree, and race your bike then like i mean i don't know it seems pretty wicked awesome to me and this is like another trickle down thing is like you meet a lot of people in college like like a lot of networking happens by going to college you know like that's uh, true but if you're trying to be a pro bike but if you're trying to be a pro bike racer do you meet a lot of people in the industry that are going to help you be a pro bike racer yeah, but let's oh, like no. let's be because I feel like here. I feel like the collegiate cycling <laughs> no. bubble is separate from the pro racer bubble. Yes, I mean 100%. if you go to Mar- if you go to Marion, the SRAM factory is like Fair two enough. miles down the road. Fair enough. I think yeah. like 
30% of the Marion team ends up working for SRAM after they graduate. So, <laughs> okay. So I'm like, I'm not even joking. Like it's okay. legit. Like you go to Marion, yeah, yeah, go but, to SRAM and, but, but Dylan want, Dylan's saying if you want to be a pro bike racer, not a so SRAM I was employee. about to say is the odds of you becoming a pro bike racer. Oh, sorry. She doesn't like, I'm sorry. Here you go. You go. You can be a pro cyclist. You can be a pro. It's okay. Um, <laughs> say hi to everybody. Just start screaming. So I, I think Drew Drew was trying to get at the plan B. You gotta have you gotta have something in your back pocket that you know if the pro bike racing career doesn't work out, at least you got some connections in the industry or whatever that could help you get a job. I don't I don't know if that's that's quite what Dylan was asking. Though. Yeah. So so I this is this. Was posed as a hypothetical, but I'm actually coaching a guy who um, is his goal is to be a professional bike racer, not a pro bike racer, a professional. Like the distinct difference there being getting paid to race his bike, and he goes to uh, mountain biking and gravel. Okay, Um, and he goes to Fort Lewis, which is like the infamous uh, collegiate mountain bike powerhouse. And he doesn't race collegiate because, you know, he just doesn't see collegiate helping him in his professional cycling career. And I, and, uh, you know, I, what I told him was, I was like, yeah, I don't think it will help you in your professional cycling career. So if you don't want to do it, then you shouldn't do it. If you do want to do it, I wouldn't stop you from doing it. Like, I, I think that'd be a cool experience to have. But if you, if your feeling is like collegiate racing is just going to get in the way of me, uh, making bike racing my career, then I, I kind of agree so with that. Did did he go to Fort Lewis because originally he wanted to be part of a powerhouse cycling program, or did he just want to live in Durango and train with mountain bike? Well, he's he's from Colorado, so you know, I think uh, uh, I I don't think he actually ever raced collegiate. Um, okay, I think it's just it's just the Colorado school that he was drawn to. Um, but I, I mean, ask him I think that explicitly. That, yeah, I mean, I think with that context, it it certainly like yeah, collegiate isn't doesn't see it as a benefit. Like collegiate racing, mm-hmm. that's that's fine. But I think you know what probably what Drew and I were maybe hinting at is that like there's more to it than just well, I'm I'm not going to go as fast or like the collegiate racing is easy. There's the the extra benefits of you know having connections with people of of getting to know people who might go to work at SRAM or might go to work at whatever specialized or some other bike company. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I'm looking for a frame sponsor for this year. I need components or wheels or whatever. And like, Mm -hmm. you don't know that guy who went to your same school because you, you skipped out on collegiate racing. So, I mean, if it isn't, if it isn't serving his purpose, then, then that's helpful. But I think there's also other benefits to come from it, but that's something that, that he has to weigh out. I think there's the potential for that to happen, but I, I stand by what I said where the collegiate cycling bubble and the pro racer bubble, uh, there's a little bit of overlap there, obviously, but it, there's surprisingly not nearly as much overlap as you would think. Are they yeah. are they at least still going to go race Nats? What, collegiate Nats? Yeah. No. they don't. Uh, this person doesn't do any collegiate racing whatsoever. Hmm. Could qualify okay. as a ringer, though. <laughs> he, I mean, yeah, he, I mean, he. This, I, I just this, wonder, like, if if uh, like winning nationals. I mean that that seems kind of like maybe, maybe that's a shoe in, like getting your support. 
Yeah, you would think, but then, you know, I mean, Drew just left, but Drew won cyclocross nationals uh, for collegiate. And I mean, you, we, if he was on right now, he'd be going on a rant about how that, that title meant it's true. nothing to sponsors. So, that's <laughs> yeah, because it's cyclocross, bro. I was going to say, you should have won gravel nationals. <laughs> right. Yeah, dude. Is there collegiate gravel yet? I, I think don't allegedly think so. they were looking into it. My the college that I went to, Brevard College, they claimed that they started the first collegiate gravel team, which is a complete joke because there are no collegiate gravel races. They just have people on the team who race gravel. So, dude, sick. That's a good marketing right there. Um, so I, I forgot that we were we were tangenting off of Logan's question. Which was initially. I forget what the original question was. <laughs> yeah, so he was asking about like coaching. You know, like yeah. Oh wow, what, what we are just, we are like five topics removed from that at this. Point. So hold on, let, let me finish his question because otherwise it's going to get lost in the queue here again. Okay. So his second question says, "It seems to me that professional cyclists are highly likely to buy into or at least promote gimmick products." Like leg compression, compressors, amp PR lotion, uh-huh. altitude masks and tents, exogenous ketones, etc. Why Aero do you think socks. this is? <laughs> is it the urge to squeeze every ounce of performance out of them? A money-making thing or something else? Love the podcast. Thanks, Logan. Uh, I, 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 think- I, I don't think anyone's buying. I don't think they're buying into it. I guess I shouldn't say that. Well, I think that I would, pro- I would guess I, that most of the time that they're that they're making any kind of like announcement or Instagram, you know, or social media posts or something like that, like where it's they're kind of showcasing some of these products or technologies. There's probably some kind of financial incentive behind it. Like most of the yeah, time, they're not exactly. just doing that because they're like, "Holy crap! I just discovered ketones, and no one's paying me to say this, but these ketones were like a game changer, and now like my performance has increased three percent." Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, also, as far as you know, pros promoting uh, questionable products. I don't. I don't think that a pro is any more or less likely to be duped by some real sketchy product than your average amateur. To be honest with you, um, I mean, maybe they, they probably have. They they definitely have oh, a I- little bit. They definitely have a little bit more knowledge than your average amateur about most things regarding cycling. But it's you know. Um, I think in, in, yeah, I, I think the general public would be shocked by how little marginal gains pros actually chase yeah, I, in like everyday training and so, racing. So, I mean, I have this conversation so much because obviously I'm like the biggest marginal gains nerd there is, but it is, it is, I, I think that people, people just assume that a pro bike racer is doing every single last possible thing that they can to go as fast as possible uh and from like the perspective of somebody like me that is so far from the case um of course there's you know there's there's levels to it right it probably from their perspective they are because they're they we're talking about a person who's riding their bike three times a week and anybody who's training 20 hours per week they're like wow that person is like the most dedicated they're doing everything they can but um, so it's all relative, I guess is what I'm yeah. saying, but, but, but like, yeah, so, so, and, and I don't know, like it may, maybe this is just a end of one example. I know it's not cause I talked to plenty of other compadres, but anyways, I'll get, I'll give my anecdote. Like 
whenever I meet someone, like just recently, like in the last month, I met someone who is a uh, sports nutritionist, and they they were like, "Oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk to you about all of the supplements that you're taking." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, it's going to be a short conversation because I'm like." pretty much don't take any supplement. And they're like, what? You're missing out on so many performance opportunities because you're not taking this and this and this and like they're rattling off all these things. And I'm like, you know, maybe like, but, but I'm so much more focused on just trying to get the most out of my body now, like naturally, like just through training. Like I don't have time to even like research some of this stuff, let alone like sort out my medicine cabinet to have everything organized. So I know like this day I'm taking this and this day I'm taking these. And at this time, and like, you know, it's like, that's why, hard, that's why like, you I'm have to. Get, that's why you have to hire them. I'm gonna get most of the way there. That's why you have to hire them. Well, I, the I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm not saying that those things aren't beneficial. Like there, there are definitely athletes who who do optimize every single thing they possibly can. All I'm saying though is, I think in general, you'd be surprised by how many elites don't actually do that. Yeah, agreed. And it's it's difficult. I mean, if you if you don't have an interest in this kind of thing, like I'm sure if Drew was p- actually paying attention right now, you know, he doesn't have an interest in what tire is the fastest. He just cares about his watts, right? <laughs> so like if you don't have an interest in this kind of thing, it's like a lot of mental energy to expend on something that that uh for sure is a marginal gain. Yeah. And like for for me, for example, if it if it takes 2 hours of my week to like do all this stupid crap to my bike and you know, figure out my nutrition to a T and like, you know, use the compression boot things for my legs and all this stuff to like try and get an extra half percent out of myself. If that takes two hours, like I don't ha- that takes two hours away from my training. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. get way more out of putting those two hours towards training than I am doing that stuff. So like there's still like maximal gains that I can get from just trying to maximize my time training that I'm, I just focus on that and kind of let the rest fall into place. Did we? Now, answer if someone the- wants to pay me to to talk about you know their gimmicky product, sure, I'll, I guess I'll do that. That was Did always my it? perspective. Was like, <laughs> what, well, I think I'm trying to bring it back to the guy's question. Was like, I feel like there are some marginal gains, but I think think a lot of people that you're seeing post about stuff. My perspective was always like eh, that person's probably getting paid by Athletic Greens to talk about how they take AG1 every day and it I'm, makes I'm their day better. I'm convinced that no one just takes whatever. AG1 without getting paid. Have you guys tried that stuff? In, in AG1, Athletic Greens, yes. if you're listening, we'd, we'd be happy to take you on as a sponsor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dude, have you guys I've tried, tried, have you I mean, guys tried I'll Athletic I'll be honest. Like, I listen to so many podcasts that talk about AG1 that I'm like, yeah, I want to try AG1. But I can combine I, those you know, discounts. So, I, I, I have not done enough research to know whether or not it is, in fact, beneficial for you or not. It could definitely have some health benefits. You don't benefits, have to eat vegetables anymore. You just drink AG1. I, I, will yeah. say, <laughs> I will say I have tried AG1, and it is one of the most disgusting. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just not That is not how we're going to get an AG1 sponsor. <laughs> no. It's, no, it's not good. It's not good. Hey, Did I you mix this it? Stuff. It's called Amazing Grass. Like Amazing Grace, but Amazing Grass. <laughs> and it was half the price as AG1. Amazing that Grass like it came from your local cannabis store. And I think it tasted even worse than AG1. <laughs> Drew's just eating the weed he like, at the dispensary. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> I, would mix, I would mix that with my creatine and my beta alanine, and those were the three things. And I would just do it all in the same cup. 
Wow, that's like, sounds delicious. Water. Like star crit. You, sh- you should have also, you should put, also your put your raw eggs and anchovies, anchovies in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought about it. Um, well, cool. Well, uh, I don't know. Should we wrap it or should we do another question? Let's try to wrap. How many, que- how many more questions do we have? You guys rocked through like 15 last week. Yeah, how many have we rocked through today? Like two. Uh, so I haven't, <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the Instagram questions yet, but there's only four questions left in the email queue right oh now. Oh my gosh. Oh, Let's come on. We could do it. It's four. Rapid fire. Let's, Let's do go. four, four questions in four minutes. Put the, put the timer on. Dude, I can't even. So, so somehow Superfan Dan's question got lost in the shuffle when he was asking us. So, so Daniel's been working in the background doing the uh, gravel what do we call it? the gravel super rankings or something like that anyways like his, his gravel rankings presented right? by bonk Bros. and presented by bonk Bros, of course and ag1 and <laughs> currently we've like the only the only the only way that it's getting out there is us talking about on the show and we're trying to work on getting a website built so that we can post the gravel rankings on the website and it's my responsibility, and I haven't had time to finish it yet. I've got like a template right. built, but I still need to do that. So, Whoa, anyways, who's paying for this? Who's paying for this website, dude? I, dude, I, I, I covering, covering it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I Drew, you gotta put your headphones back in. It's echoing like crazy. Oh, my bad. Then I'll just stop talking. So, anyways, we had we had a long email chain going back and forth with Daniel about the website and stuff and somehow his question got lost in the email shuffle so he sent it back in and this is his july question and it's already august so we already dropped the ball oh wow uh, but anyways well, it, it came enough. in after our last recording so it's fine uh right. so he, he says endurance coaches tell us that age dulls sprinting and climbing abilities as fast twitch muscles turn to slow twitch and people put on some weight while vo2 max slightly falls in other mm. words hashtag dad watts though as masters become generalists they excel in tactics relationships and wisdom some say that gravel is where dad dad watts shine given the higher demand on slow twitch muscles of going long and the survivalist knowledge slash experience however is this a myth that can be busted can we confidently bust the myth myth that gravel is for the dad watts or is gravel the only discipline where the masters and u26 riders are on equal footing looking at the top tens for the u26 26 to 34 and 35 plus age groups below i don't know where are these what these are like what race this is from it's just from the rankings uh, bro presented yeah, by bonk just, it must just be from the ranking yeah yeah it's from the ranking presented by bonk Bros. the 26 to 34 age group also has a clear advantage over the young and old age groups in both genders women have higher points per race uh in the other two groups for men they have higher or no Points per race is 1,500 versus 1,000 in the young and old groups. Uh, he's given us examples of, like, you know, looking at the, the breakdown by points. But he's basically trying to get at that the 26 to 34-year-old age group is the one that's standing out as the highest performing. So I think he I, – I don't exactly, I don't really know what his question is. His question, uh, he wants his to know, like, is, is, is can, like, can we bust deb- the myth deb- that gravel is for the dad watts? Well uh, – <laughs> The fact that the 26 to 34 year olds are performing the best is not shocking at all. I mean, basically you've described, uh, the peak for endurance athletics there. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, depending, depending on the event, um, 26 to 34, that's, that's kind of the peak, peak range, um, in terms of age for athletics, as far as debunking dad lots, um, I mean, the only, (laughs) this was, this was pretty interesting. I was hearing on a podcast that, um, your testosterone is the highest when you're, if, if you're a man. I don't know how, I don't know about this in women or not, but your testosterone is the highest when you're, when you're single and then your testosterone goes down when you get in a relationship and then it goes down further when you get married and then it goes down further when you're married with kids. (laughs) Yeah. But is the, is this just, just like the progression? Like, is this tracking one person or is this looking at different groups of like single people, married people with kids of all ages? Yeah, I mean, they definitely didn't track one person. That wouldn't be a very good study. But I have not looked at the research on this myself. I just thought it was an interesting tidbit to bring up while we're talking about dad watts. Yeah, because like if you're if you're tracking individuals across their stages of life, like you start out you single, then you get a little bit older, you get in a relationship, a little bit older, you get married, a little bit older, you have kids. So like it makes sense that as you're aging, your testosterone is decreasing as well. So yeah. if you if you, you track the same point. person who was single throughout that whole that whole time, wouldn't their testosterone also decrease? But also, you know, not everybody goes from single to relationship to married to married with kids. Some people go from single to relationship yeah. to what single. Yeah, from to, single to you know, I think yeah, I think single I think what there's what they've shown no relationship, is, but you have kids. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, so I think what they've shown is that the the deeper in the commitment hole you are, the lower your testosterone is going to be on average. <laughs> so Nina, if you're listening to this, don't expect don't expect She's it, don't expect yeah. anything from Dylan anytime soon. <laughs> At least not while he's racing bikes. Yeah, so. that Leadville finish line proposal that you're hoping for ain't going to happen. <laughs> not, not not this year. <laughs> Uh, maybe once he's 36. I don't know. I, I think maybe the original like connotation behind gravel being this place for dad Watts was probably when everyone was like retiring from road racing. They already had kids and then they got into gravel racing and they were dominating. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think now that you're seeing the level of competition rise and you're, you're seeing younger people, middle-aged racers, like in their prime and then, you know, race from the end of their career. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, like, you know, on the list here, like Pete Stetna, I mean, he's still, you know, he's still racing at a high level. Alex Howes, Lawrence Hendam, Rob Britton, Nick Roche. I mean, like, like there's some big names here. But if you look at, yeah, for sure, if you look at the list, I mean, it's like the 26 to 34. Now, I don't I don't know anyone on this list from Keegan, Rusty, Alexi, Roberge, Lachlan, Howie, Matt Beers. I don't, maybe Matt Beers has kids. I don't I don't remember. We should know because he was on the show. We didn't ask him though. But I don't know if anyone on the on the list in the twenty six to thirty four year old age group has kids yet. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Although I will say that I think almost then, all of those who you just rattled off. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, there there are some that I don't know, but I think most of them have a partner, so <clears throat> their testosterone isn't as high yeah. as it could be. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs> just so it's clear. 
being married and having kids is absolutely way better than winning bike races. Just so that that's a clarification for everybody. Because Dylan's like over here, like oh, I'd rather win Leadville than have a kid. Not a like, not a chance, dude. No, I'll do it. I'll do it both. I'll just have you saying I'll Dylan have... has no chance at winning Leadville. No, not a chance that winning Leadville is better than having a kid. What about not winning Leadville? What? What, a, <laughs> what about getting Keegan's 30? going to win Leadville. Like, ain't what, nobody going to be Keegan. What about getting 30th at Leadville, but getting, like, 17th amongst the Lifetime Grand Prix riders? All I'm saying is life is better. <laughs> life is better when you've got a kid. Okay. That's what. That's all I was saying. And a wife. A good, yeah. a good wife and a good kid. I, I can concur. Yes, Adam can concur. Yeah. That's why I'm not going to win Leadville this year. <laughs> yeah. Got well, your excuse. I'm not, I'm not even going. <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay, let's let's rattle these guys off. Uh, this got... one's from Marcio. Uh, okay. Hi, Bonk Rose. I really enjoy listening to the podcast and have a question. How should I train to not get dropped in the hills? I started gravel racing 10 months ago. I have improved a lot and can hang with my local A group for a while until we reach a couple of hills and I get dropped. Then I can't make it back to the group. How do I... How should I train to avoid getting dropped, Marcio? Mm. Is this a Matchbox well, question? Hmm. Yep. Transferred to the Matchbox. Next question. <laughs> that is. Dude, Mar- Marcio's just, he's sending lots of questions in. That, I think are that was the all, third one we've... They all, if they're all training related... No, they're not. Matchbox. No, they're not all training related. Okay, good. Sorry, Marcio, but we're on a Do you actually want, here. you don't want to, we got to give him a little bone here. <laughs> Nah. <laughs> I mean, we could at least tell him how to. Marcio, we'll give you. No, a that's a good. Advice. No, no, it's a really good question. I think, like, I, I think yeah. Caitlin Maddox had have a lot to add to it. That's I'm gonna, why we I'm gonna, for, I'm gonna forward it to the Matchbox, Marcio. So if you're listening, you can check it out there. But I'm gonna give you a little advice. If you've never heard of sag climbing, which means Ooh. you get to the front of the group when you're going into the climb, Waterfall. and then even though you climb or yeah, waterfall climbing, whatever you want to call it. Even though you're climbing slower than everyone, by the time you get to the top of the climb, you're just at the back of the group instead of being off the back of the group. If you're not doing that, like that's where you should start. So implement Very that. Very successful and then, strategy. Because that you can implement like ASAP. Whereas to, to train to get better at the hills might take, you know, a few weeks or a month or two or yeah. six. So hmm. start yeah, there. Listen to the Matchbox. Keep- we'll tell you how to get fitter as well. That'll keep him on his on, on the edge of his seat until he listens to the just matchbox. just buy a really sure. expensive lightweight bike. You'll be fine <laughs> with some I heavy mean, wide tires. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, it's all come full circle back to Dylan. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, uh, fuel mixture cost. Okay, this one's from Ricky. Uh, this one's to me. It says, "Hey Adam, I create my own fuel mixture, i.e., just like flow." which is a combination of maltodextrin, fructose, caffeine, electrolytes, and citric acid for taste. I don't know how citric acid would taste, but sounds sounds like my heartburn would get messed up. Flow has citric Anyways, acid in it. Uh, I guess it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, dude, maybe if you were on fun. supplements, you wouldn't have heartburn. Let me tell you about true. all the supplements you could be on. <laughs> Monomeprazole. Does that count? <laughs> Uh, and I guess it depends on your definition of it's not that much more expensive, but my mixture, my mixture costs about a quarter of what uh, the cost of flow would be. I'm sure. Yeah, but the- with that ten, but with that ten percent discount, let's hit him with hit him with discount, Adam. <laughs> uh, ignition or matchbox pod. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, we, we, no, we, I, actually, I don't think that's right. Isn't it Ignition Podcast? Maybe it's Ignition Podcast. I, I don't know. I have, I, I got to read it off my thing at Ignition Times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Show notes. I'm sure buying the pre stuff is more convenient, but not worth four times the cost for me. Thanks, Rick. So he's just telling us. Because I, I think I mentioned in the last show that I used to make my own, and then mm-hmm. I switched to Flow because it's like, why? Like, I just don't have time. Like I talked about, like, I don't have time to make my own. Like, I hardly have time to make my own bottles of Flow. That's why I like using like their single tube serving or single mm-hmm. serving tubes because you can just pour it straight in. You gotta like scoop it and spill half the shit on your counter, and then you gotta clean it up afterwards, and it's a mess. Um, I feel that. So like I barely have time to make my own bottles of Flow, let alone like make my own drink mix. Then I would still have to make my own bottles of whatever that drink mix is. So it just was. It's not worth it for me right now. Like I, I'd, I'd much rather spend that time training than mixing bottles. So, but does what he if? just mi- does he just mix like a giant vat of this stuff and then because I could see that being pretty productive, very efficient. I mean, and you still got to like get all the ratios right. So I yeah, mean, but if he just does that on a super large scale, like in a freaking like no, I mean, I mean maybe he does. I don't know what Rick's setup egg, is in a keg or something. Like, like <laughs> I used to do it in in like a big Tupperware bin, basically. Like you know those bins, and it was in. A, I say it's a bin, but you know the bins like you get those peanut butter filled pretzels in. Where it's yeah. like a big plastic tub. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just, like, washed one of those that I, you know, finished off the peanut butter pretzels. And, and then I started mixing my endurance drink mix in that. Did, did he mention so it'd be soap? about a month. Did he mention Hey, let me ask you this. Do you, do you wax your chain? Because that no, also seems like a huge waste of time. <laughs> yeah. I, no, no, Adam, no. Adam doesn't do that either. Okay, good. <laughs> did, good. There question. was a time where if you waxed silk- your chain but then, <laughs> then didn't mix your own drink mix... Oh, that did, I could make. Did he mention? Yeah, did he mention sodium, or did he not mention sodium? Uh, he doesn't mention anything about sodium. Which actually, Rick, if yeah, if you're if you're mixing your stuff without sodium, oh no, he says electrolytes. So, okay. what's his question I, again? He was just sending in his anecdotal experience with making his own drink yeah. mix. I think I've, more and more people are going that route. I've been but measuring, they need, I, but they need to use this. They need to use our. They need to use our discount code. <laughs> I've been measuring my, um, uh, uh, you know, how much sodium I sweat during exercise, and it turns out that my you do the you do the, you do the lick test. The lick test. You need to do the lick test. <laughs> you just lick like your that. forearm. Oh, Ooh, you have salty, salty today. Salty today. Don't <laughs> put some more salt in there. Uh, no, I don't do that. <laughs> how how are you doing it? You said you're measuring it. I'm how using um it? I'm using a it's a product called Nix N I X and it's like a patch that you put on your arm. It looks like a continuous glucose. Is it like monitor. the Gatorade ones? Because I've used the Gatorade yeah. ones. Yeah, I've not used the Gatorade ones. I guess it's similar, but there's an app for it, so it's a little. It's fancy. Anyway, the Gatorade one is there's an app for that too. Well, shows what I did. <laughs> <It's cheaper. laughs> you just take a picture of it and it like reads, it reads okay. the results. Oh, dude, sick. So, but anyway, it, it turns out that my assumption about being a low sodium sweater was correct. I am a low sodium sweater, um, and I think that this is something that a lot of drink mix companies could do better with: is having different amounts of sodium options for people because there is a huge variance between people who are very high sodium sweaters and very low sodium sweaters. Um, you mean like how flow offers low sodium drink mix, unflavored dude, high sodium drink mix, unflavored and their normal drink mix and you can just mix it all together and you yeah. stole the words right out of my mouth. But I, it's that's <laughs> most companies don't do that. 
they're just like here you go it has yeah, so, it has a level of sodium I, I think hopefully it's the right so for me personally because right i i did i did some sweat testing earlier this summer and i actually found that my sweat rate was like a thousand migs an hour which is pretty high like that's on the high end of of, of sodium excretion mm-hmm. um but I can't process that much. Like I've tried. Oh, see, it is. I, Gotta go. I've tried to consume that much sodium during training, and like I can't. My stomach can't handle it for some reason. Hmm. So I still go with the low sodium, lower sodium option because it my stomach can handle it. So I think even for that that reason, you know, like not everyone wants to take in the same amount of of electrolytes or sodium. Yeah. But do you like? Have you made any adjustments from that? Like, have you gone to whatever your upper limit of sodium intake is? Uh, yeah, and and actually, what I found is interesting. Like, I can I can consume more sodium if I just put in my own sodium than when mm-hmm. I try to do the high sodium drink mix. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why that is. I I don't know if like the I don't know what it. Mm. Not sure why. But like if if I if I use the low sodium drink mix and then I add in like 500 migs of my own sodium, and I use this like product called Boulder Salt, which like I don't know what it, it's like some sports salt, but I'm sure it's just table salt that he puts in a bag, you know, and calls it Boulder Salt. But anyways, I like I like put a 500 migs of that in, and I don't I don't notice any gut issues then. Um, Interesting. So so I that's what I do. I use the low sodium drink mix. But then I put my own sodium in it, which sounds kind of weird, but it works. Uh, I'm really glad that you shouted out these uh, Gatorade ones because I was too was looking at the NYX uh, thing the other day when I was like scrolling through the feed and uh, was very interested in it, but did not want to spend the whatever 170 bucks for mm-hmm. patches and a monitor that I would use. Bucks? Yeah, yeah, the Gatorade the, packs the are like you can get you get like two two strips for like twenty bucks. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm about. Where does uh, do you, either of you guys use like the the Kool Aid packs at like the powder Kool Aid? Where does that fall on the spectrum of sports hydration? Does it cover everything? Or <laughs> <laughs> asking for a friend? <laughs> Is there any sodium in that? <laughs> Probably not. I think it's just blue and it's just sugar. Blue. uh yeah i mean whatever whatever floats your boat i guess i i do like when i like never drink normal water i only ever drink some form of like electrolyte water and usually i like uh pouring in the propel packets to drink a lot of propel basically and i don't know if that's healthy or not but i think for now are you saying even even when you're not uh exercising yes wow all right. I mean, I, when I'm not exercising, I probably drink three bottles of water a day, like mm-hmm. three 22-ounce bottles. So it's not like that much. Yeah. I drink a lot of plain water when I'm not riding. I just I, – I don't I don't find plain water to be refreshing at all. And, <laughs> okay. and, I, and like, especially in the summertime, like, I sweat so much, you know, from training that I feel like I'm always – I always – like, I'm always needing more electrolytes. Like, I'm always craving something salty. Okay. There you go. Make your own. I'm looking forward to get my flow order in. I ordered the low sodium because I too think I am a low sodium sweater. We'll test out these Gatorade sweat patches here. But uh, Sick. yeah, looking forward to checking it out, making my own gel mix. That'd be sweet. 
All right. Are we well, almost at the end of we, these? We have one more question. Questions? We have one more question, but it just came in three hours ago, so we can we can just pretend like it didn't come in in time. <laughs> what? Or just knock it out right now. <laughs> knock it out, man. Come on. All right. Let's knock this, it out. Tom, this podcast is. I, I won't do you like that. It's already on, way Tom, too we, long. We got let's you. Just, what's, what's another? Okay. 10 Tom minutes? says, "I love the mount. The, I love the drop bar mountain bike banter. I just built up one myself. You're welcome." And I'm curious how often you're riding it rigid versus with a front fork. Is it worth investing in a lightweight 100 millimeter fork to swap back and forth between, or just stick with the rigid fork? And during any riding, and mm-hmm. any riding requiring suspension, just pull out the full sus mountain bike. Well, I think it depends on what what kind of riding you're doing. I mean, I uh, you know if you're doing some of these races that are, I it seems like they're more more and more races popping up that are in this gray area between a gravel race and a mountain bike race. I think Leadville's a perfect example of that. Um this Bighorn gravel race that I did is a perfect example of that where it's like if you're on a gravel bike you're underbiking and if you're on a normal mountain bike you're overbiking. Um in which case I would probably want a mountain bike with drop bars with suspension. Um I actually don't even I, uh, I've never even run my drop bar mountain bike with a rigid fork. So same. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you've run yours with that gravel fork, which I, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I've never run one of those forks, but I think that, you know, I think makes sense in certain applications, but I've only ever run mine with a hundred mil fork mm-hmm. and I probably will never run it with anything but a hundred mil fork. I know I could probably drop a pound off of the weight if I switched to the gravel fork and probably two pounds off the weight if I switch to a rigid fork. But I just, I, I don't see any application where I would want that bike. Like if, if I'm, if I don't need suspension, then I'm probably just going to run my gravel bike with 47 pathfinders. I can think of races where I would want a rigid drop bar mountain bike. Um, the, the issue that I'm running into is that I can't find a rigid fork. That's the right length because a mountain bike rigid fork is too long and a gravel rigid fork is too short. And I want a, a rigid fork that is in uh, between, which is kind of, you need, you need, need, have you looked into the, the non boost options? I know envy makes a force that's fork. That's non boost in mm-hmm. the front. Uh, who, but it, who but runs it's, non-boost it's 20 wheels. mil shorter. It's 2023. Who runs non-boost wheels? Dude, you run the gravel fork. That's not boost. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's not that's a hundred millimeter. Uh, that's that's gravel. Um, got him. That uses. I'm a, you've that, got that, the wheel for it. No, I don't. Have, I don't have in, the in your. I don't have the wheel for it. It uses it uses a gravel. Uh, it uses gravel size, whatever that is, a hundred millimeters by ten or something. By twelve or by 15, 12. depending on. I mean, it dep- so yeah, non, it depends. So non boost, non boost is one hundred by fifteen, and then gravel size is like one hundred by twelve. Right. So I'm saying it's not going to work. You're right because well, you just put different end caps on it. <laughs> yeah. On your wheel, exactly. It'd be fine. All right. Put different end caps on your gravel wheel. It'd be fine. But the the better thing is if you have a fifteen by 100 hub you can put a sleeve in there to reduce it like it's way easier to reduce it than it is to make to make your axle bigger hmm. so that's an option but anyways i, think, I don't know I think I, i'm just gonna fork out like you know a couple thousand bucks for a custom fork i think that's the option i'm gonna do 
a couple thousand for <laughs> custom carbon fork, dude, it'd be way more than that. <laughs> Adam's going to charge you way more than that. I just, to design this I custom just don't. Fork. I, yeah. I, I, I have, I have spent hours. It designs easy. It's, I have, I have spent hours looking for a fork that's the right length and it doesn't exist. I can't find a fork. That's the length that I'm working for. All, all the gravel forks are too short and all the mountain bike forks are too long. Yeah, I don't know what's I don't know what to tell you, man. What about that Chamois Hagar bike that's got this super <laughs> super low like I don't know. I don't it might be long talking. enough because it's got it's got such a <laughs> such a slack head tube angle that may, maybe the fork would be long enough. I, okay. I'll, I'll look into There's that. It's a bike called the Chamois Hagar. Okay. I don't remember what, what brand it is. Probably like Esker or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, I don't know. I would say for Tom, if you've got the rigid fork already and you're you're cool with it, and you also have a full sus mountain bike, like I would just stick with that. I think if you put a, I think if you put a suspension fork on it, you're going to be less. You're going to your decision between which bike to use is going to be more difficult. And I think simplifying things is better. So mm-hmm. make the gap between the two a little bit bigger, and and then it just makes that that uh, uh, decision a little bit easier. Put drop bars on the full sus. Dude, I I so badly want to do that. But I, I, I finally have a full sus mountain bike and I can't I can't not have a mountain bike. Mm. But I, I I so badly want want that bike. If you did that, would you run that at Leadville? Yes. You would. Okay. Yeah. Dude, my, my new full suspension mountain bike is only it's less than two pounds heavier than my hardtail. Oh wow. It's only twenty one pounds. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not drop bar. Mm. All right. So yeah, Tom, if you want to hit me up and we can we can put a sick drop bar mountain bike together. We could start that that trend. Drop bar full sus mountain bike, I should say. Honestly, Adam, I think you're doing it wrong, man. You need to have a drop bar full sus and a straight bar hardtail. That way you can run that bike at both Leadville and Schwamigan. Mm. You're saying run the drop bar bike. Yeah. At both Leadville and Schwalmigan. Yeah. And yeah. Ice I, mean, I plan on running the, dro- I plan on running the drop bar bike at Schwalmigan. Like I'll, I'll just, you know, deal with the fact that it's rigid in the back. Like it's, you know, hardtail. Mm-hmm. Which I think it'll be fine. Yeah, okay. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Should we shut it down? It's like two hours now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is good. Is this our really longest? Is this our longest episode yet? <laughs> it probably is. Who knows? I gotta cut out all that stuff. That that uh, yeah, we gotta cut out some of the background noise. We don't want to get shit on again. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, see you later. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>